Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 85 movies, one cage. This is episode 90, Mom and Dad from 2018. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, very special guest. Two qualifications I want to give this guy. Number one, uh, the most patient guest we've ever had in terms of us figuring our technical difficulty bullshit out. But number two, only our second guest on the podcast who ever have met the man himself, Mr. Nicholas Cage. We have Greg McLennan. Hello, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for bearing with us as we struggled on this 90th episode to get our act together. I'm mostly just disappointed that you guys are only 85 movies, but 90s episodes. Like, how did you do five episodes without having seen a movie? <laughs> what did oh. we do? Oh, oh, so we had a uh, an award show was one of them. Yes. Okay. I just didn't want to come into your podcast and shit all over it, but I had some <laughs> curiosity that we didn't sort out beforehand. Snowden minisode after we saw it in theaters. But before we did a full Fair episode enough. about that. Uh, and we also did, oh, we did a movie, Welcome SNL? to Hollywood. Which he's oh, yeah, not okay. in Hollywood by Adam Rifkin, which he was billed in but never showed up in. Huh. Which is still, I still recommend that film. There's some, there's been some weird stuff here and there. And then our Marco interview was was. And our Marco interview, yeah, we interviewed uh, Nicholas Cage's stand-in for twelve years, Marco Kiris, who's also you may know him as huh. the pizza guy in Matchstick Men, who delivers pizza a couple times. Oh, okay, so. yeah, his daughter loves pizza. Yes, she does, yep. <laughs> and so, ice cream, and ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So before we talk about Mom and Dad, the movie that we're here to talk about, I am jealous of you, sir, because I lived in Austin for two years, and then I move away, and within six months, you hold the caged, <laughs> the fourth caged, I believe, right? And you get him, the man himself, in the room. Yeah, were you able to come to any of the other ones? I saw the first one in Yonkers. Okay, so you were there whenever I went up there for Yonkers. One was just kind of a goof being like, hey, this is a ridiculous thing. And then it sold out really fast. And then his birthday was rolling around again the next year. And then it was like, well, this would be irresponsible to do this, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I, I just kind of jokingly said it. And then I did it. And then it sold out really fast again. And then I was like, oh, man, I think this might be a thing. And Elijah Wood's a pretty good friend of the like uh, Fantastic Fest in the Draft House. Yep. And so um, whenever the trust was playing at south by he invited me out to go to like the premiere as his guest and like to hang out at the after party with cage that's so cool uh and i was like oh my god this is a dream come true <laughs> i uh, meet up with elijah and he goes dude i just got a text message cage isn't coming he doesn't feel good and i was like shit he, he put his his heart into trying to get nicholas cage to come but he just couldn't come so year three i got a very nice note written from nicholas cage to me uh that i shared with the audience then he said if uh, you do this again next year uh you can bet your ass i'll be there like, I asked Elijah to reach out. Like, he reached out, but it went to a dead space. Oh, no. Uh, and I did everything I could. And then ultimately, I just got connected to his manager. I called, like, I emailed. Then they called me. I called them back because, like, it's like a, like a lady calls you to then connect you. And it was like, hi, I'm Greg. Uh, and I'm like, oh, are you the caged guy? And I go, I am the caged guy. I really like that, like, his management knows who I am because then it seems very genuine that that email was genuine or that letter was genuine that uh, Elijah got me. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah. Like, he got me on the phone. And he goes, hey, tell me about this thing because I forwarded your email to Nicholas. And he goes, yes, let's do this. And I was like, dope. Oh, man. That is so cool. But yeah, he was supposed to be, I think he was supposed to be at the Trust, because I saw the Trust at South By when the directors were there and Elijah yeah, was there. Yeah he, yeah, he was supposed to be there. Yeah, and so that was devastating, because uh, I was like, there's a chance that he's there, so I need to make sure that I drop everything I'm doing and go, because that was the only movie I saw that South By. I saw the Trust, because I'm like, he might be there, I just want to be in the same room as him. And yeah, he was supposed to come, he was supposed to go to the after party, we were supposed to have a whole thing, and it just all fell apart. 
But and I saw the video of his appearance at the fourth one, and I got to say, I, I feel like he made good when he showed up on that man, appearance. It was crazy because uh, he flew in the day before, and we were going to go out to have dinner with his manager, who was like, "I got to see what this shit is." And so, like that, dude flew, out, <laughs> flew into Austin, and then like his agent flew out into Austin because they were like, "Hey, I want to go to this thing." Me and Tim League and his wife Carrie like end up go like Tim like rents a private room at a restaurant, so Nicholas Cage won't be bothered. The Nicholas Cage like apparently got off the plane and wasn't feeling good. And wanted to rest up for the day for the, for the next day. Mm-hmm. He was planning on sitting for the whole marathon, and then yeah, like he didn't show up. So we have dinner with his manager and agent, and then <laughs> the next day, like an hour before Caged happens, I met Nicholas Cage for the first time. But it was funny because his manager was like, "Hey, Cage is thinking about uh, reading a short story of his own or a Telltale Heart beforehand. He got some time <laughs> for that." And I go. Yeah, we have time for either of those. Whatever he wants to do, he can do both of them if he wants. He goes, okay. And then, like, whenever I meet Nicolas Cage, like, it's like a black car waiting behind the theater. Like, uh, they text me. It's like, hey, you want to come meet Nick? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Like, I walk behind the theater. Just, like, a black door opens. Like, that beautiful, like, Italian, like, brown leather coats blowing in the wind. And, like, Nicolas Cage (laughs) just extends both of his arms. He goes, Greg, I have been waiting to meet you. And I go, this is the weirdest thing you possibly (laughs) said to me. And then I go not gonna lie to you i'm gonna hug you whenever you come out because i feel like people have really wanted to see me hug you for three years so <laughs> i should hug you in front of them as a gift to everybody goes we're definitely gonna hug he's like but they told you that i was gonna do a cold reading of Poe's telltale heart right and i was like yes whatever you want to do but i had no understanding that he was going to do it in its entirety uh, <laughs> or that he wasn't going to say anything at all to the audience whenever he walks in he was just gonna walk in give me a hug and then start reading the most impassioned reading of telltale heart that oh, i think wow. i've ever seen so I like I, I like just got out of the way because he's like I'm gonna grab your microphone. I was like okay, and then I just like he started going. I was like I'm just gonna get completely out of this equation because I don't want mm. anything to interrupt this. That's amazing. My favorite part about that story is that like his manager asked for permission. Like, can oh, he do this? Yeah, like I'd asked him. I was like, hey, if you want to pick the movies, because normally I do, and, th- and like I sent him the lineup that I was gonna do for Cage Four. And he's like, oh, my God, I just spent like two weeks like agonizing on what movies of his own did he want to play for himself. What did the lineup end up being that night? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think we started with Bangkok Dangerous. Great. Into oh. Joe. Oh, nice. Into Army of One. Oh, nice. Into Bringing Out the Dead. That's And then we finished it with Lord of War. Oh, wow, a fiver. Wow. Yeah, we always do five. Always five. New York only gets short chance whenever we, we go up there because they have a harder time uh, freeing up the space in the theaters. But Austin, yeah, we can run rampant. We got theaters galore. That is crazy. <laughs> Mike, Mike and I saw the Rocky Marathon in Yonkers. We saw all seven in a row, and that almost killed us. But that was, uh, you know. <laughs> we went to a five-film five Schwarzenegger Marathon, though, for his birthday last year. So that was yeah. that was much easier than the Rocky. I've, I've done five. I've done We have done every single one of the police academies back-to-back on an Easter <laughs> Sunday. If it ever sounds like it's, yeah, they they were just like, well, this is a terrible idea, but nobody comes to the theater on Easter Sunday, so you can do it then. And, you know, we had like 100 people watch, you know, all of the police academies back to back to back to back. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. I remember, like, the the craziest one I heard when I was down there was they were, you guys were going to do, I think, all three Hobbits and then all three Lord of the Rings or something? Like, it was going to be, like, 18 hours or something crazy. I think that maybe happened once. I think the the Avengers one was probably one of the wilder ones where it was, like, all of the MCU. And then the Lord of the Rings ones are real brutal because it's like they have a feast while you're doing it. And it's just after you get like your third course of food, (laughs) you're done eating. (laughs) But you have so much day left. And so you just like get a piece of food served to you and you're like, don't put that there. Fuck you guys. And then like the server (laughs) runs away 
And then you go, well, I'm going to try it. And then like within five minutes, you've eaten it. And then you're like, all right, well, that one's behind me. And then they just walk out with more food. And you're like, oh, this is never going to end. I did a Godfather feast where I saw the first two and they did like, you know, wine pairings with five different courses. And even like that, like just two movies and like five courses as opposed to 20 hours of food. It's like still like, whoo, okay, like that's still a lot. <laughs> and then the, the programmer just comes out and goes, thanks. That's all the Godfathers they ever made. Enjoy. <laughs> And that's it. And there was never a third to be seen. Sorry, Mike. There's no well, third times a charm here. Uh, but yeah, no, like, Cage hung out the entire day. It was He was, like, the nicest, chillest dude. He like, watched he all just five? Was, yeah, he sat right next to me with his girlfriend. And then on oh, the other side cool. of me was his agent and manager. And, like, he watched all of those movies sitting in the theater, watching them on 35mm. Like, he was uh-huh. freaking out about, like, the weird TV stuff that we had found of his for, like, the pre-show and, like, Japanese commercials oh, and was, like, so cool. laughing at them. <laughs> Uh, he was like the night and then like he got like between movies like he would like pop up I told people not to bug him because I wanted him to feel comfortable but like he was like super gracious with everybody like he went upstairs and like filmed like a little promo video for us and then we did like a 90 minute Q&A afterwards I was just like I'm not going to stop this until somebody stops me and like nobody (laughs) stopped me and so I just got to keep going and it was like one of the most incredible Q&A's that's so cool I'm so jealous, and I'm so bummed that I missed it. Are you gonna are, is, like? I guess you can't do another one, right? Because you can't top that. So it's it's done. I thought I thought about bringing it back to its roots and just be because like that day was as incredible as it was, and as, as jealous as you can say you were. Like it was a very very stressful day where I barely got to sit down and like watch oh, any I'm of sure. the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I generally just like sit and really enjoy the movies with everybody, and it's just like I'm the dumb asshole that gets to stand up in front of the audience, but like anybody could be doing this job. I'm just fortunate enough to get to sit in this movie theater and watch it with all you guys right uh but like that day it was like everybody from the draft house was like on deck we had like our pr company that came and they're like why didn't you tell us about this I was like, it's a surprise uh and then like weird stuff like people asking for quotes and like news and stuff and you're just trying to like get them to all go away and it was just constantly a production to where like i had an incredible day but like i was taken out of my incredible day constantly yeah, that's a bummer. But, uh, but, but yes, I thought about bringing it back to its like basics and just being like, hey, these are just people sitting around watching Nicolas Cage movies, but I promised that I would stop whenever he came, and I feel like I don't want to sully the legacy of it to where we kind of run it into the ground. I want everybody to remember like kind of that once-in-a-lifetime experience is like the last one. No, that makes absolute total sense. Maybe I'll do it like in 10 years whenever Nicolas Cage has 100 more movies. <laughs> There you go, an anniversary. Or I mean, something. he he's hungry for that hundredth. I think he's talked about right. Like he he wants to hit that movie number mm-hmm. one hundred. So you know, when he gets there, in like I guess probably three or four years or whatever. Like yeah, I know, right? it's gonna be a big day. Castles I mean, and dinosaur bones don't by themselves. <laughs> Or Action Comics number one. Well, we had to sell that. We followed up Cage. After we did all Cage's movies, uh, we did Keanu. And Keanu has been to Fantastic Fest, right? Have you met him? I'm actually doing the Reeves Illusion uh, this Sunday. Oh, Oh, awesome. All Keanu all day long. This mouth does not spell secrets, even when intoxicated. And believe you me, people that I know very well uh, try very, very aggressively. But yeah, no, uh, Reeves Illusion's happening on uh, Sunday. But yeah, no, uh, he, he comes to Fantastic Fest. I've met him before. I actually fought in Fantastic Debates one year. Oh, yeah. Uh, whenever I was changing in, like, the very small, like, office, he, like, walked. And he goes, hey, man, I just wanted to say really good job and, like, shook my hand and then sat down so people wouldn't bug him. Oh, wow. And I wasn't wearing pants because I was changing. <laughs> and I go, no way. This is a real weird experience for me because uh, I'm a big fan of your work. I, I never thought that I would meet you, but it's really not how I envisioned it because I thought I would be wearing pants. <laughs> we won't press you for the movies. Are you doing four or are you doing five? Oh, always five. Always, always five. five. That's 
very cool. You know, I know you through... I mean, I, I don't really know you know you. I mean, I talked to you this past year, but, like, I know you We've through... We've met face-to-face. You can say did. you know me. Yes. But I know you through Fantastic Fest, which I've been going to the last four years, which I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. How many movies, on average, do you watch leading up to Fantastic Fest to see if they should get in or not? Like, I'm not sure exactly how that process works, but I know you watch yeah, uh, Mom and Dad. There's a whole last programming year. team that does all the submissions and all the stuff. Whenever there's something on the fence or something, like Tim League or I'm like friends with a lot of the programmers will be like, hey, like, why don't you come and watch movies and like give us a thumbs up or thumbs down or like, hey, can you watch the screener link because we're kind of on the fence. And so like with mom and dad, it was really funny because everybody had like their like email locked one, but everybody sent it to me and then gave me their password. They're like, don't tell anybody I gave this to you. I was like, Man, five people just did this. And so like I got to watch it early, did my full report, uh, and then people did, disagreed with me. But yeah, like I, w- I wasn't a huge fan of that movie, but uh, I was going to say, to preface that, as a huge Nicolas Cage fan, uh, which seems like it's antithetical to dislike that movie even remotely, I did watch significantly longer cut of it because I rewatched the movie before I got on this podcast oh, wow. with you guys. Boy, is it breezier uh, whenever it's like 84 minutes compared to like the hour and 56 minute version that no I saw. Way. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was that so much that, longer? That, well, that's what I thought was going to be playing at Fantastic Fest because I thought it was a done film, but apparently it was not. They were sending like their early cut in order for people to assess it to play at the festival. Huh. And at that running time, like, man, you do not get the sense of Brian Taylor doing cocaine and riding rollerblades. While making <laughs> no. <laughs> Whereas the version that I watched last night, so much cocaine and rollerblades. <laughs> I wanted a, a somewhat longer version, but not that much longer. Of a version. Now, trust me, you really don't. Because I, 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 I had a good time with it last night. And like the situations couldn't have been more similar where it was like me alone watching it on my TV late at night. Uh, it worked so much better this time because like stuff where there was like musical interludes where uh you would see like cage doing crazy shit and just kind of screaming over it or something were like full drawn out scenes in the verse that i saw and so you're like whoa shorthand was your friend for this one yeah because like like neville dean and taylor i mean this is just brian taylor but like they they thrive in that like 85 to 95 minute range like i can't imagine Mm -hmm. anything that they do being like close to two hours like that just seems like not their speed at all. Like, I think even Spirit of Vengeance was, like, 93 minutes or something. Like, I think, you mm-hmm. know, they, that's just, like, the, the Crank movies are right in there. Like, that's the wheelhouse. Like, get yeah. in, get out, and just, like, you know, cocaine and rollerblades. Yeah, no, they don't uh, They don't like to waste time. I like to think that they have ADD that's just never gone away. They're just like, nope, I'm not interested in this anymore. Why don't we just wrap it up with a musical montage? Why doesn't uh, Jason Statham turn into a gigantic kaiju? Fine, good, done. <laughs> in the movie. My, I loved watching it with the crowd at midnight at Fantastic Fest. I was hoping he was there. He was not there. But Brian Taylor was there, and also the kid from this movie was there, the little boy kid. Uh, oh, the little kid. And him telling stories and calling him Nicholas, like, oh, you know, Nicholas was so much fun on set, was so great. But I asked a question. I said to, to Brian Taylor, I was like, hey, can you promise between this and Spirit of Vengeance that, like, you will never stop making movies with Nicholas Cage? He was like, yes, I promise. And the whole crowd, like, erupted into applause. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I would be happy if like he just Scorsese's his way into the sunset doing only Brian Taylor movies <laughs> for the best of his life like they're at best incredible and at worst interesting pieces of art he always performs in them very well they it always gives he's a good director for him it gives him room to stretch and do what he likes to do and he does that a lot are you guys, are, are you guys referring to the nouveau shamanic school of acting <laughs> That's the cage. Is that the cage patented school? That's his self-described term for his acting style. I love it. 
he did. I read on IMDb that he said this was the most fun he had shooting a movie in a decade. And you know what? Mm. About a decade before this was Spirit of Vengeance. So I wonder if it was like huh. the most fun he had since that movie. I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn and I can't confirm nor deny anything that I have seen since that he's done. As I understand it, there was a movie that played at Sundance that he seems to be having quite a good time performing <laughs> it. I mean, Mike and I are loving this renaissance. I mean, I know that I'm sure mm-hmm. that you liked it because you picked it for Caged Four, but like Army of One blew us away, and we were like, "Oh my oh, god!" Yeah. No, that lineup, Nicholas Cage programmed that lineup. Oh, I had an entirely oh. different lineup, and then whenever I offered Nick to program it, he goes, "Oh my god, I'll have to really think about that." Okay, and so I had a, I had a lineup of five movies that I was going to play, and then Nick Cage hijacked the lineup, and I was like, "Yeah, no, all 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 about it, bud." And I think the only lap over we had was bringing out the dead and what's the one i already said it with uh, jared leto uh lord of war yeah lord of war yeah uh but yeah no whenever he put army of one on there i was like oh my god because it, it had hit vod <laughs> not too long before we were doing that festival so it felt kind of weird to play it so soon but so many people had missed it but yeah like i was night one like rental yeah watch it immediately yeah. and i was like this movie is such a bizarre enjoyable movie it's it's got like a third act stumble but it's like act one and act two are so great and we that, love the big g yeah just we, tell you that we love the g <laughs> uh we love i love like when he references himself like when they say that, like he that hollywood came to him and wanted mm-hmm. nicholas cage to play him in a movie i'm like i don't even know what's happening this is like a this is like a meta <laughs> level to a level that like i've never seen before and we were like oh my god that's cage for you man <laughs> I love that he can uncage the cage, but inside of that cage is another cage. Yeah. I love that he picked Bangkok Dangerous because that was quite a surprise. Being a fan of the original one and then seeing what they did with that movie, I was pretty pretty impressed. What was great is I invited him up before Bangkok Dangerous to be like, hey, do you want to say anything about these movies? Because normally like, I speak really obtusely about what the movie is and why I programmed it. So I invited Nick up to do the same thing. And he goes, um, so this next movie takes place in Thailand, and my girlfriend's from <laughs> Thailand, and so I wanted to show her a movie from Thailand. Anyways, this is me in Thailand, honey. Uh, and he sat down and watched Bangkok Dangerous and had a Red Bull and had some popcorn. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I, when I went up to you at Fantastic Fest last year, I was like, I just saw Mom and Dad. I loved it. And you were like, ugh. So I was glad to see, as I letterbox stalked you again, to see what you gave. And you gave it like three stars, which I think is like more in line. Like, it's not, I don't know that this is a great, I should, pre- I should preface before anybody ever starts to follow me on letterbox though because i don't ever encourage it i'm not i don't begrudge anybody who does it i'm always just like really you care because i watch a lot of garbage uh i watch a lot of great movies i'm also like a super dick about giving anything like too many stars like two and a half stars is where i go you've satisfied me as a movie and i am perfectly happy like three stars going like all right i liked you i liked you you're good Three and a half is whenever I start to be like, you're really good. Four means I really, really liked it. And like five is the most elusive thing in the world. So like my ratings are are hard-earned on that app. Well, I just saw tonight uh, Paddington 2, and I saw that you gave that four stars, and I was like, all right, like I know that you're stingy that's, with your stars. That, that, but I was that's like... probably a four or five star. That's, uh, that's a miracle movie. That movie is... Yeah, that actually earns yeah. its stars, I feel. like I'm, I've been kind of the same way over the past year when I started Letterboxd. It's only in 2018 that I've started watching more films I actually want to watch instead of just trying to watch a new movie every day or something, and, right. and those turning out to be bad. It, I'm realizing, oh, I'm watching a lot of like four or five star movies this year. This is- yeah, no. I have a movie night with buddies where, like, we'll all bring something that's a blind spot for one of us, and then we, like, just argue over what we're going to watch that night. We've been doing this for years, and so, like, I saw, like, All the President's Men or, like, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon for the first time. Like, these, like, weird movies that you would expect that, like, a programmer at a theater to have seen just, like, for whatever reason, and everybody has those, like, slip-throughs. 
And I watched them and I was like, man, Dante Afternoon is a fucking incredible <laughs> movie. How have I have never known this? I don't know. Like you guys... always knew that it was good, but it wasn't until like I watched it. And you guys put out the dog too, so you would think that like that would have been jammed in your face. I got hired right around the time that we picked up the dog, okay. and I was working on Mood Indigo while they were simultaneously cutting a trailer for the dog. So I I cut the trailer for Mood Indigo while they outsourced the dog, and so I was pretty much removed from the dog gotcha. uh, by and large, other than like seeing a bunch of like marketing materials and like having to like work on the DVD and stuff. And so like by that point, I was like. Oh, I get this story. I'm no longer interested in it because whenever you like cut trailers or yeah. work in like marketing on a movie, you watch chunks of the movie so much that you go, I never want to see anything associated with this again. <laughs> like, I really love Itania. Like the very first time that I saw Itania, I was like, this movie is so good. I'm so excited to be working on it. And now if you told me that you were going to like evaporate that movie from the planet and I could never <laughs> watch it again, I'd be like, no, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I got I got all my watches in. Well, Mood Indigo is a delight, so I'm sure that was a good first project. Even even though I'm sure at this point, you know, you might never want to think about that movie again. Uh, it's wonderful. No, no, no. I, I still think of it fondly because we released like a theatrical cut, and then I really like the French cut. But there's like a Blu-ray out with both of them on there, and it was like that weird thing where like I got to edit like my first kind of professional movie trailer oh. and I had to send it to Michel Gondry, and Michel Gondry's like, "You're good at editing," and I Whoa. just turned a puddle on the floor where you're like but you're the best editor that there is. <laughs> I don't know what's the weirdest thing you've said about how, like, Nicolas Cage wants to hug you in front of people or you met Keanu Reeves pantsless no, or Michelle no, Gondry no. is... I, and... I specifically said <laughs> I wanted to hug him and that we should hug. He just agreed. Well, but he did say he was waiting to meet you when he yes, got out that, of the that, uh, Yeah, that, 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 that did happen. I mean, like, you have a weird job. Like, I don't ever get to have these conversations with anybody because nobody's ever asking me about this stuff or it doesn't come up casually in conversation because you sound like an asshole if you ever have that conversation. Sure. But, like, whenever you're talking about it in the context of work, like, I have a really super weird job where I program movies for a movie theater and, like, get to have guests out and stuff. But I also, like, work on first-run movies where you get to meet a lot of, like, the people that, like, work on those things or, like, have conference calls with, like, Margot Robbie because she's a producer on Itania. And you're just like, you're Australian and adorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's super cool. I mean, like, to the outside listener, you might be like, hey, you're dropping a lot of names right now. But, like, to us, like, I'm, I'm eating it up. I'm sure Mike is, too. I mean, it's all these, like... If little me, like, ever got to talk to old older me he's like get the fuck out of here that's bullshit and i'm just like no i know i i still think that to this day like i think that i'm the luckiest person in the world and i'm constantly happy and if anybody ever asks me how i get into my job i always tell them from my cold dead hands i wouldn't give it up is there anybody you, you want to meet like is there anybody you want to like start programming marathons for in the hopes of one day meeting can i suggest one uh charlise uh, uh, charlise would be good i mean i've done a bunch of them like i've done van damage i've done WrestleMania. i got close to getting Kurt out uh, whenever I did WrestleMania 2. I've done Denzel Watching Thon. Oh. Oh. There's, there's been a lot. I've done the Stallone Zone up in uh, Yonkers and in Austin. I'm trying to think of other ones. There's been a lot. I was bummed when Kurt Russell couldn't make it to Fantastic Best for Bill and Tomahawk. I was like, I'm going Yeah, to he got him. sick. Yeah. It was real sad. But like, it was crazy as Nicolas Cage's agent is the same as Kurt Russell's. And he came and he was like, you ever do this for other actors? I was like, yeah, all of the time. <laughs> uh, people just associate me only with Nicolas Cage. He goes, like, what other ones? I was like, I, I, I'm doing like WrestleMania next. He goes, Kurt Russell? I go, yeah. He goes, we should talk. It fizzled out. Uh, but we got we got pretty close. I've I've always really wanted to meet Schwarzenegger, and I have technically once, but uh, Tim League kind of blew it for me because oh, no. he was like freaking out about having to do an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Uh, and then he goes, can you do the interview? And I go, yeah. And he goes, all right. It's like whenever he was releasing The Last Stand. Okay. Uh, and so during the movie, you were going to interview, and then Schwarzenegger was going to do a Q&A on stage afterwards. And so I was going to do the interview with Schwarzenegger during the movie. But then Schwarzenegger shows up and just grabs popcorn and walks straight into the theater and just stands and watch the entirety oh, of the movie. No. Uh, standing? And so like he didn't sit down? He's, he's just standing eating popcorn. Whoa. Uh, and, and then so like Tim's just like, just hang out here. Like, I'm going to come with you. But like anytime he pops away, like we're going to do this interview. And I was like, okay. And then it never happened. And then afterwards, like the PR people were like, hey, this is Tim Leake. He owns the Alamo Draft House. He's like, hi, nice to meet you. And then <laughs> I like stick my hand out and like he shakes my hand and walks by. And Tim goes, fuck, I didn't introduce you to your hero. And I go, no, you didn't, Tim Leake. <laughs> he goes, I'm really sorry about that. The Egyptian out in L.A. did a, uh, a T2 where they were going to have uh, Galen Hurd, James Cameron, and Schwarzenegger out. And uh, I know the programmer out there. So Tim was like, all right, I'm going to buy you a ticket to go to L.A. to go meet Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so I went out there, and uh, Schwarzenegger called in sick. Oh, no. <laughs> Man, that is a common but I got problem. But I got to see an evening with James Cameron and Galen Hurd and watch Terminator. So it was pretty, it was pretty dope still. Yeah, on your boss's dime, too, so that's not too bad. Yeah, no, I didn't have to pay for it, which was uh, the real testament to the kindness of Tim League. Absolutely. Because, yeah, whenever it came for, like, Nicolas Cage, we'd already put the tickets on sale before he confirmed. And I was like, hey, I have to pay to fly Nicolas Cage out. And Tim was just like, fuck it, do it. And I was like, you're the best boss in the world. (laughs) How do you say no to that request? Like, hey, we can get Nicolas Cage here, but we have to buy his plane ticket. Like, yeah, okay. Like, let's just just get it done. Yeah, I think think his actual response was, he goes, why are you even asking? I mean, that's the thing, like, what I love about the Draft House is, like, you guys just, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're very profitable and you care about that kind of stuff, but it just seems like you, like, want to provide, like, this singular, unique, cool experience that, like, you know, I get to meet Nicholas Winding Refn and just talk about Keanu Reeves with him, like, when I see the Neon Demon, or, like, just these weird things that, like, don't happen elsewhere or, like, only happen in New York and L.A., and you guys are like, hey, like, let's just get these, like, really cool people that you love and just, like, watch their movies and talk to them about it, and, like, it just, it's great. I mean, I don't really want to like get on too much of a soapbox where it's like patting myself on the back, but I like to think that Tim hired me and like other programmers, and it's like, like I said about like being at the marathon, it's like I'm not anybody special. Like the point is, is like everybody in the audience is just as special as I am. The point is, that we we are creating this communal experience together. Yeah. Like I'm just yeah. the lucky guy that gets to organize it, and whenever like yeah, we have a celebrity there. They generally just feel that everybody's just chilling and having a good time, and people get read into those vibes, and it's it's a real special thing. Like I I don't know how to quantify it other than it's like it's a place where movie lovers go because it's run by movie lovers. Yeah, exactly. As and opposed to like a company going, would you like to buy some ten dollar popcorn? Yeah, please leave now. <laughs> the AMC is the enemy. <laughs> well, right, but it's just like yeah, you go to a, like I mean, you've, if you've been to Fantastic Fest in particular, but I feel like it applies to most draft houses. And I don't want this to sound too much like a commercial, but like you go there and like there's a bar next door, there is at least like a horseshoe where you can get like a beer or something, and like it's it's a communal like kind of hangout space, and it, it, as mm-hmm. well as being a theater. And like and if you go to the theater enough, then you start to see the same people, and then you're like, oh, I've got like a group of friends now. Yeah, I've been going to the the one up in Yonkers near us has been uh pretty awesome so like that's that's the only one that i've ever been to they're doing a great job up there and like i've only ever had a good experience seeing like two predator movies there and clockwork orange like really nice prints of everything so always a good time i'm just trying to get mike to come down to fantastic fest one of these times because you know i I keep saying like you know it's it's a week of watching the coolest movies like every like like the weirdest like this specific branch of Mm -hmm. movies that i love like with people who are all there to like really be into it like it's there's nothing else like it south by is cool but it's such a wide breadth of movies that you don't really know what you're going to get but like fantastic fest like it's so curated and so specifically what it is but also like they've never let like the group expand because like we expanded one year to like 
uh, downtown theaters in Austin. And it just like it was split in the group, and there was too many attendees. And mm-hmm. then they just put it right back, and they're going like, "No, we're going to have a thousand people come, and all thousand of those people are going to know each other." Yeah, everybody's just friendly. Like, like the the attendees are friendly. The people who are there, like as special guests, are friendly. Like, you can just go up to anybody and just like talk to them about whatever. Like, I make you know, you make friends just waiting. Like, it's just it's such a cool environment. And like, oh yeah, I, mean, I love it. I have, I mean, I have friends just from people who go to like the theater that have said hi to me, and I'm like, I mean, I'm on your podcast as a result. Of yeah, that. which we are. I mean, should we talk about uh, we should mom talk and dad about mom at all? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> are you guys big fans? I didn't, I didn't check your letterbox reviews. I don't feel like I gave to throw you guys on the cross in front of an audience. So I gave it a five at Fantastic Fest because the crowd experience seeing it at midnight with the, with no, the director I, I, there. I understand, but then I, I watched it again last night and I still really liked it. I bumped it down to a four though. Again, like it's a, it's a great Brian Taylor movie, but I don't think it's a great cage movie. Like, I don't think he's in it enough to really hmm. warrant like that like upper echelon of like because we just watched this past weekend we watched Moonstruck and we watched Honeymoon in Vegas where he's like in it a lot and it's just like that's those are like what I'm looking for. Here he's great in it and he's in it more than he's been in other recent movies but it's like I want more still. And I think there's that weird thing uh, to where I felt like he was in percentage wise more of the movie that I watched last night than it was in the one that I screened for oh, Fantastic wow. Fest. Because like he goes away for a while, and you're like, huh? I, I remember watching it the very first time, going like, oh, there's little cage ticks every now and then. Uh, in the edit, they really just compressed all of those cage ticks to be there to where his performance now feels more alive, to where you do mm-hmm. want more of it. Yeah. Um, where it's like there was just like super subdued Nicolas Cage, where it seems like he was barely registering that he was in a scene, all the way to like Nicolas Cage destroying a pool table with a sledgehammer. Yep. So this is the first time I saw it. I think I'm the only one who saw it for the first time. Yep. I actually really enjoyed it. I give it four stars. For recent Cage, I feel like this is a really good Cage movie. Uh, yeah. He, he is only in about half of it. Like, I checked, like, he comes home from work at the halfway point. But I feel like the moments we get are so good. Like, when he's sleeping at work, like, that was hilarious. We get him with a mustache. We get him playing pool we get a lot of sort of him as a dad i think is really good i mean he is how did you guys feel about the air lick on the beer can whenever he's telling his son about his younger days of riding cars and fucking chicks that's one of the (laughs) best there's a great cage freak out in the basement but that cage father-son talk is like one of the all-time greatest like in film history almost recent history you fucked up son but what if i told you i fucked up even worse how did you know once upon a time, the Firebird was Grandpa Mel's car. It's true. He bought a brand new in 79 right off the line. Used his VA cylinder. Man, that car was his baby. When I was little, I used to watch him polish it on the front lawn every weekend. And by the time I turned into a dumb, horny, pimple-faced high school kid, just like they're going to be, it was officially a classic. So long story short, I stole the keys, picked up my girlfriend. Yeah, this is before I met your mom. Took her out for a little spin. <laughs> pretty much totaled the motherfucker. Cool. Hmm. Mel didn't think so. I thought he was gonna crush my skull. But you know what he did? He sold it to me. And it wasn't cheap either. I'd have to pay him back every dime he put into it. And if I wanted to drive my senior year, I better learn how to fix a car. So I did. I spent the whole summer working two jobs. Pay back my dad. Here's $10, dad. Here's $20, dad. Here's $100, dad. By the end of summer, I had that bad boy carried out from the ground up. Now, you talk about a pussy magnet. Dad. Chick magnet. Huh? <sighs> Your mom keeps telling me to sell it, but I just can't bear to let her go. 
So my mom always says, I can't bear to think about what must have happened in that car. Because of the accident? No, no, buddy. She's talking about something else. I'm sorry I messed up, Dad. Come on, hey. Like father, like son, right? But if you ever touch that car again, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> Mike, we've been talking for a while that like we want Cage as a dad, and like we finally get him as a dad, and it's like he's I kind want of him as a cool uncle. I want him as a cool uncle. A dad, <laughs> I don't know. Because he's kind of the worst dad. Like, I mean, aside from the fact that he's trying to murder his kids, like he's terrible. Like he's a terrible father, which is I mean, for this movie, it's great. Mm. Like I do have but, like some problems with the movie like i don't it's not a five star and it is graded as a certain genre of film but i mean i like these kinds of movies. i like it's not a zombie film but i like zombie fil- i like the crazies i like crazy people movies like when people go insane uh, it's kind of like valentine's plot from kingsman <laughs> like that sort of right. I, I felt like this was just happening in one sector or something for that type of movie i feel like it was pretty successful yeah i mean i had a, a difficult time the first time i watched it i felt like it flowed a lot better better for me this time with all of the backstory being an undercut of the tension builds yeah. to where you'll see something fucked up about to happen you go oh look at this uh, really tranquil scene with Selma Blair and her daughter in a mirror right before it like turns into a smashed mirror and like her trying to kill her kids I felt like it was so much more elegant this time whenever I watched it but like I was really on the fence the first time uh, and there's and there's a lot of those things where I was just like I feel like you're a movie that's bursting with ideas, but you're having a very difficult time articulating them a lot of the time. I think on the rewatch, I just I went going like, I'm not going to get as much Nicolas Cage that I want. The Nicolas Cage I am going to get is going to be bonkers. And I just want to have like a good time. And like walking in with that, I had better expectations to where I enjoyed it so much more the second time. Yeah, because I feel like it. It tries to say too much, you know, and it's like, just have fun with yourself. I don't think it has a problem with even, like, trying to say too much. It's just that it doesn't fully say anything, you know? Like, it it hits all of these touchstones of, like, uh, parents' relationships with their children and, like, parents' relationships with each other and the nature of growing old. And it's like, that's a lot to stuff in a movie that you're going to have a five-minute scene of Nicholas cage singing and smashing a pool table because you've got to have that five minutes so there's not going to be a whole lot of character development or ability to flesh out these ideas you know i'm saying that maybe there needs to be a fucking grown-up zone and a fucking kid zone brent honey you think i want to be the one to piss all over your family room do you think i want to be the one who has to build a fucking family room perfect Okay. Well, let me see if I can take care of this for you, sweetheart. Yeah, I think I have something. Just the right thing. Oh, yeah! You put your right foot in. You take your right foot out. You do the hokey pokey and you fucking work it all out. And stop. How you do the hokey pokey? And you turn yourself around! That's what it's all about! There you go. Problem solved. You're right, honey. I hate pool. Yeah, it's just like pick one run with it yeah like yeah pick a lane stick it and just Mm. stick the landing 
what and I, I almost felt like it tried to be too expansive at times too. I mean, we could talk about like the school and you know the rest of the world and what's going on the hospital scene, but I almost wish it was locked in the house for an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, I think I think maybe it somewhat inverses your expectations because it does try to broaden its scope at the beginning, and then you kind of end up in a claustrophobic die like kids die hard movie almost. The shrinking scope, I get what you mean, and I, and I kind of feel the same way. Like it's just. You wanted it to be either bigger, but obviously it wasn't a big movie. And so whenever it inevitably ends, has to end on kind of a smaller scale, even though you have Lance Hendrickson show up, it's somewhat like of a fizzle after like starting with kind of a, a big boom. I mean, movie, they went for it with that baby scene. I like, yeah, the, I mean, that's what I was getting to. Like, I like that the movie like never really explains the why. Like, it, it sort of shows the how. It's the static on the TV or the static on the radio, but like it never goes deeper than that. Like, we don't really care, but it does mm-hmm. take the time to like show a mother trying to strike her newborn baby to a song by Roxette or, or like the scene where like all the new dads I mean, the just... needle him like going like fuck you like he's like he's like we're gonna have fun yeah and I feel like there's a for me there was a great vibe set up with the opening credits like I got a real sort of grindhouse yes. vibe. and not like a true grindhouse yeah, vibe, sure. but like a Rodriguez Tarantino grindhouse vibe where yeah, yeah I'm gonna bring, <laughs> bring this style and invoke this and this what is gonna a be a crazy compliment vibe. that turned into <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I did it the best I could I, mean, like, I, thought, I mean like Robert Rodriguez grindhouse <laughs> you know like later years Blink-182 Green Day kind of punk rock <laughs> you know, like, just like that modern aesthetic sensibility of Right. Trying, yeah, no, yeah no, to make no, it no. feel trashier. It worked for it. You have to applaud any movie that opens with a woman leaving like a toddler on train tracks to get obliterated by a train, and then eat, like smash cut into those opening credits. It's just like this is exactly the movie that we're we're watching, and like this is what this very specific niche audience wants. But like, man, like I I'm just eating it up. Well, what are your guys' favorite Nicolas Cage movies? I don't want to like backdate you on your podcast to where people are bored. But I have a natural curiosity now. I'm sorry I haven't gone back and listened to them all to figure this out. My favorite is Wild at Heart. Okay. Mine is um, Adaptation. And and those, and those are the movies, not necessarily that it's your... Because I feel like there's, there's a, a disconnect for a lot of people where you're like, what's the best Nicolas Cage movie? Right. Versus like, what's the movie that like, if you could, you had to come home for the rest of your life and you could only watch one movie, like that's your Nicolas Cage movie. I love that adaptation because it's like a great movie, but we also get two very different Cage performances in it. So like that right. always is like a sticking point for me to have it really high up on the list. But I also love Honeymoon in Vegas, which we just rewatched yeah. recently. Yeah, Honeymoon in Vegas just doesn't really hold up for me like there's so much good about it but it's such a clunky movie yeah i don't think it's yeah, a great it movie i think it's a along. great performance though like i think right, he's yeah. like cuz he's just crazy in it like i'm more confident in saying that my favorite genre of cage is rom-com cage i'm not as confident in saying what my favorite movie is i mean it's wild at heart but like you know it could happen to you is just like i i don't know why it works for me so well but like that movie and like Peggy Sue got married. Rosie and, Perez. Rosie Perez makes yes, it work. Yes, all of it. I mean, it's just. <laughs> and I'm also Fonda. in love with Bridget Fonda. Like, yeah, it's just. Yeah. Man. Where have you been? Man, I, I can't say her name because I'm on a podcast right now, but everybody's going to make fun of me. Uh, star of Peggy Sue Got Married is Kathleen Turner. Yes. Because Kathleen Turner hated Nicolas Cage during what? the production of that really? movie, right? Yeah, apparently him bleaching his hair and showing up with big teeth and like being kind of like that big <laughs> character. Doing the voice uh, and stuff, right? Yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah like the, the voice, everything. Like He didn't tell her that he was going to do that. He just was doing it. And like they were like, it's too big. He goes, no, it's the character. And I think it's right for the character. And apparently he just really pissed off Kathleen Turner because she thought like 
she was giving this like earnest performance and he was doing this like screwball comedy that nobody else was. We've had that a couple times where like, what was it? I, it might've been Deadfall. Like there's been movies like that, like his, his family has made where they've been like, you can't do this. He's like, well, I'm going to do it. And like, they, they threaten to kick him off or like similarly in terms of him making a screwball comedy that we saw in uh, the remake of the Wicker Man, where apparently he and the director were like, we're making a comedy and no one else is on the same page. I was like, that's why that movie is so weird. But like, if you watch it from his mind, that this is a comedy, like it's, it's great. But like, if you watch it just as a movie, you're like, what is going on here? I mean, like I laugh at that movie and I feel bad. It's like, I feel kind of bad laughing at it because it's so hodgepodge mismatch, like in its execution where it is the kind of definition of what people say. It's so bad, it's good, which I never ever want to say about a movie. But uh, I told, I was told, I forget who it was, uh, but it was somebody that was like a, a Cage Connect, and they were like, you know, if you want him to come, oh no, it was David Gordon Green. We were try- we were reaching out through David Gordon Green for year three of Cage, and David Gordon Green goes, you know, if you want him to come, you got to play the Wicker Man because that plays to his favorite performances of his. And I was like, is that true? Uh, and so we played the Wicker Man year three. Cage ended up not showing up. And then at the end of the night, I programmed it as the last movie so that he could talk about it. And instead, it was just 200 people watching the Wicker Man. For <laughs> and it wasn't I, even the director's cut. So there was no bees oh, scene. No. It, it was, and doesn't Dave Franco show up at the end of one of those cuts? Sonny himself? James Franco? Franco? Yeah, yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. He's, he's in the diner yeah. or something at the end, right? Because he's the, he's the yeah. next one to be to the Lord of the Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, what's your favorite Cage movie? I have a hard time. Um, if I was going to pop in a movie at any given time, I'd probably pop in like Face Off or The Rock. Mm-hmm. The Rock, I think, is a more fun idiosyncratic performance because it's Cage before Cage was an action hero. Yes. And it's really, really great. And you are watching him slowly figure it out during the course of the movie. Face Off, it's because he gets to act like a fucking lunatic while simultaneously trying to act like John Travolta. Uh, there's so much face touching in that movie. I, I think Moonstruck is probably like my favorite performance of his, and I really love John Patrick Shanley movies. Like, I think Joe vs. the Volcano is bar none one of the best movies ever made. Love it. So, yeah, I'm no, I, 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 I don't know if you I'm, get I'm, that. I'm, often, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I, I very seldom get that. People go, wait, that <laughs> shitty Meg Ryan movie? And then I'm just like, all right, pull up a beer and a chair. We're about to have a conversation. <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing that with you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I say that to my girlfriend all the time. She's fucking oblivious to it. So I actually have a question for you. So we, we've talked a lot recently about nowadays he's putting out like five movies a year and maybe one of them is great. Like in your opinion, like you, you go back to those like sort of 85 to 98 ish where like there's just great movie after great movie. It's pretty much one a year. You're talking year. about like, City of Angels time? Yeah, you know, like that great movie City <laughs> that was, of Angels. That was a joke. That was, I know, that was I know. A, uh, believe me. That whole movie is just him sitting on things, looking at things. Like that's that whole movie. Like he's just sitting on street signs or sitting on like, you know, buildings. Tastes like to you. If he puts out five movies a year and one is great and four are just like fine or bad or whatever, like is that a good success? Like are you looking for just one good one a year or do you wish that everything he made was better? Like does that make sense? I mean, like, in a perfect world, and I think, like, ever since he made The Trust with Elijah and then Spectre Vision produced Mandy, which everybody's saying a lot of really good things about, like, I think that there are people who love Nicolas Cage as much as Nicolas Cage should love himself, uh, and I think there are people that are trying to help him, but I think, like, he also got himself into a situation where he started to have to say yes to a lot of stuff or yeah. was doing a lot of favors for people, mm-hmm. or people were playing to, like, an interest of his and then exploiting that, like, he was getting into the wrong kinds of movies, and, like, 
I mean, I don't know if I'd want them all to be great because then that's too many movies to catch up on. Because as it is now, like I, I haven't seen every single one of the movies that he's made in like the past 10, 15 years. I've seen a lot of them. You know, I enjoy some of them. Like I saw like Pay the Ghost like a year ago, and I was like, this Ooh. movie's pretty good. You know, I didn't, I did not hate that movie. That is unpopular. <laughs> that's the one where he was this kid at Mardi Gras. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. Like I didn't, I didn't hate oh, that yeah. movie. Oh like, yeah. Oh, oh no, but Stolen is great. When yeah, the Mardi Gras movie. Like, Stolen, like I love Stolen. Yeah. Very, okay. Like, yeah. Maybe I'm mixing it up then. I'm, <laughs> I'm mixing up my cages, which is really easy to do because they're called like. Rage, stolen, missing right. car, like the, upset parents. So <laughs> the runner. Yeah. So rage is weird because like the the movie the rage the rage that came out has like this really flat ending, but there was an original cut called Tokarev, and I don't know if you know about this, but like at the end of that movie, the original cut, he like commits mm. seppuku, like he kills himself, he stabs himself in the stomach and like kills himself, and like that's just not in the final cut. And it's just like, why was that cut? I did like, not know that. It's cra- like the original. If you can find, like, it's floating around, sort of the the dark recesses of the web. Uh, if you can find the original, so it's right cut, next it's... to like my forty six minute cut of Star Wars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's a legitimate foreign cut, though. So if you have a region free player, you could probably. Gotcha. It's the Tokarev is the name instead. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, they did it with a Jason Statham movie that was like released internationally as like Butterfly, but I forget what it was called here. It's where like he's like a thief with like amnesia. It's a pretty cool movie. Uh, but yeah, like I, I watched like a. I watched a screener link of like Butterfly and then I watched it again on like Netflix. I was like, this is a way different movie. <laughs> like that's what's weird, especially about like film festivals. Cause like you don't, you don't know if the movie, the version you're seeing is actually the one that's going to be released. Like, especially when like stuff right. gets delayed like a year and I'm like, I love that movie then, but like, I don't know what it is now. And like, it's, it's also such a weird environment where you're like, you're hit in the face by movie. Like you're watching five a day for eight days and it's like, Okay, like I, I, I think that I love this, but then you watch it alone by yourself in a living room as opposed to in a crowded theater with people who are into it. And it's like a, a completely different experience if, if the movie's even the same. No, absolutely. I mean, whenever like we do the marathons, I definitely think about how a movie's going to play with an audience. I'll let them turn on me for one movie, but I try not to do it for two because. <laughs> Like you'll be like, oh, this isn't a great Keanu Reeves movie or a great Nicolas Cage movie or whatever it is. You're like, but it's going to be super fun to watch with 200 people that like Nicolas Cage. And that's the thing. Like, I just want fun. Like, I don't, you know, like, how did Joe play? Because Joe is like a, like, he, that's a great role for him. But like, that's not like a fun movie to watch. No, like, it's pretty heavy. I, yeah. I mean, he, he got up on like, uh, so like uh, the second movie, yeah, it was Joe. And I was like, hey, do you want to come up and say something? And he's like, ah, uh, Okay. And then he came up and just was like, he got to the edge of tears telling this like 10, 15 minute story about Ty Sheridan's dad in the movie, who was like an actual like homeless person yes. that David Gordon Green hired. Nicholas Cage was just telling him that like, he's like, just keep your life straight, man. Like you're going to be a star like after this, like you're so good in this movie. And the guy died uh, shortly after. Right. I don't know if he got to, I, right. I forget if he'd gotten to see the actual like finished movie, but like he was just telling this like incredible story about working with this guy and like how much effort he was putting in and like what kind of life he had and like how his like heart went out to him and like how he hung out with him as much as he could and like what a profound effect it had on him as like a person and as a performer. And you're just like, wow, thank you for going so deep and so personal uh, with a room full of strangers. And like, he did that all day, but yeah, like, I mean, he got people to kind of that emotional space before they ever saw a single frame of it. So whenever you watched it, like everything just resonated so much more. That's, I guess that's the way to do it. Right. Like, cause that's, cause that's a heavy movie on its own. And then you like lay that in. It's yeah. like, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just uh, it's kind of those special things that you try to do it whenever, like, you're programming a movie. Like, you're like, hey, we're going to show the apartment. Um, I think the apartment is incredible because of that, that, this, and this. And it makes me feel this because it's so much this. And you're trying to, like, communicate that to people as much as you can. So where you're trying to tell somebody that are like, hey, this is my friend. She's the most beautiful girl in the world. So whenever she walks <laughs> into the room, you go like, oh, my God, I'm already in love with her. 
because Greg's been talking about her for right. five minutes. Just like Cage just nailed that. But then like whenever it was like before like Army of One, I was like, hey, you want to come up and say anything? He's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't come up again after he did the Joe one. Uh, he saved it all like for the Q and A at the end. But awesome. it was like the most pre- like th- that's on YouTube too if you guys ever want to check it out. But like he is very present. Like there was an like, audience question that he didn't answer sincerely and in long form. Like it was incredible. That's great. Now, when when you were doing the first three, were you introducing them and like un- like revealing what the movie was, or are you just sort of vaguely talking about like I like this movie that I'm not going to say because of X, Y, and Z, and sort of keep it vague yeah, and then, like. It's kind of an obtuse uh, yeah. thing, and then people find out what the movie is whenever the title uh, hits the screen in 35 millimeter. I had a running gag every single year. The fourth movie, I would talk about how much I wanted to show this movie, blah, 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 blah. And every year, I showed a little bit more of Wind Talkers. <laughs> so, oh, I, I, I'm a fan the, the, of the extended the, cut. <laughs> yeah, the, the first year, like three minutes of wind talkers played and people were like what the fuck i guess and like there was like a couple of like random claps and then like all wind talkers abruptly stopped and then like <laughs> con air plays or something and then the next year i was like all right last year you guys might remember this joke if anybody came around anyway so i hope you guys like this next movie because i have always really wanted to show because i do actually like this movie year two we watched five minutes of wind talkers and then last <laughs> or on the, and then year three i pushed it to 15 minutes uh, but I felt like it would have been a weird joke to play in front of Nicolas Cage, so right. I didn't do it for the fourth year. Was it you? I don't remember if it was you or somebody else, but I went to this member of the Alamo one year, and somebody introduced, it feels uh, yeah, like it no, might have been I was, you. Uh, yeah, I- Ernest Scared Stupid, yeah. Where Mike, yeah, I don't know if I told yeah, you the yeah. story, but Greg, I mean, you you probably tell it better than I do. But like, the night was billed as four random horror movies, like four unnamed horror movies, and so there, were, I think there were four programmers, right? And each of you picked one movie. Yeah, and I picked Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah, no, I did that. Because yeah, he went because because <laughs> Greg went up there and he was like, you know, I really want to pick this movie, but like people like they wouldn't let me, so I'm just going to show you the trailer, and then we watch the trailer for Ernest Scared Stupid, and then the trailer ends, and then the, the actual movie begins, and we're all like, what is happening awesome <laughs> but it just played the entire way through like it wasn't like a wind talker show it just like right before killer clowns right before the chiodo brothers came out like we just watched Ernest scared stupid and it was like oh okay and, like this is cool I, which i felt like made an incredible double feature but yeah no there was like half the audience was <laughs> super not with me and like hated me what i was really happy for is a lot of people turned over after watching Ernest Scared Stupid. They're like, this movie is pretty good, though. Yeah. Um, Ernest is very endearing. I mean, for someone who started off as a mas- as like a marketing mascot, I mean, it's incredible right. where he ended up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do that shit all the time at, at <laughs> marathons. It, it's like kind of a sadistic fun for me, and I think people like having their expectations played with, so I try to do something where I'll be like, all right, and then watch the trailer, but no, we're just going to watch the movie. Like, so we'll play 35mm trailer for all the the right. Keanu Reeves movies on Sunday and like those trailers are definitely deliberately picked to play with people's expectations. That's what's cool about it. But I think like why it works is because it comes from a place of love. Like you are sort of, you know, pranking the audience, but like you're doing it for a specific reason. Like you want, oh, no. you still want a good And experience. I legitimately like Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that night was great because I saw Terror Vision for the first time and I was like, oh, this oh, is amazing. I am in love. I saw that for the first time last year and I just, I recommend it any chance I get. So I know if people are listening, <laughs> check that out. Well, I was, I was always going to do a very unpopular pick because I knew that everybody else was going to be going traditional. Right. Because like Joe, who who, pro, who got like the Kyoto Brothers and did Killer Clowns, like he does Terror Tuesday in Austin, and like Laird awesome. does Weird Wednesday, yeah, which is why great. he did like Terror Vision, uh, and like RJ is more into the classics, which is why they did like that old Boris Karloff movie. Yep. And then I was like, well, I got to do something super weird and energetic, and so I was going to do Event Horizon or Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were going to say Garbage Pail Kids, Howard the no, Duck. No, that, that's that's too unkind. Those are horror for an entirely other different reason. <laughs> 
I want to talk about, going back to the movie for a second, I want to talk about how good Selma Blair is in this movie, because I don't think I'm too familiar with her mm. in general, but, like, she's so good in this. Like, in the way that, like, just genuinely in the movie good at this, but, like, also that workout scene where she's just like, I can't believe that, like, it feels like she's like, I can't believe we're doing this scene, but it's, like, reacting to, like, the way that the guy is, like, leering at them. Like, the instructor mm-hmm. or whatever sort of a stand-in, I guess, maybe for Brian Taylor. I don't know. She was really great in that uh, Todd Solondz movie. I mean, I felt like, she was, you know, acceptable for as far as comic book movies go with, like, the Hellboys. But, I mean, even, like, in, like, whenever she was doing her younger day stuff with, like, Legally Blonde, like, she was great. Like, I feel like Sullivan Blair's been great for a real long time. You should acquaint yourself, sir. But, no, I totally agree. Like, I, I read an interview with Cage around the time uh, that this movie was coming out on VOD. People were talking about how great and, like, unhinged he was. He goes, man, but what about Selma Blair? He's like, I had so much fun acting in this movie with her because I would be in scenes and I had no idea what she was about to do. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, Joey, you got to still see Cruel Intentions, I think. We know the yeah, modern dangerous liaisons. I've seen so, parts yeah. of it, yes. Yeah. You, know, you guys have both seen Mark Wahlberg's Fear, though, right? No, I have oh, not. I have. We talked about that recently. Why did we talk about that recently? Because we watched The Yards. Oh, because sure. we watched The Yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nobody should ever stop talking about Mark Wahlberg in Fear. <laughs> I was no. going to do Wall to Wahlberg, but then Mark Wahlberg's been kind of an asshole a bit recently, and so I was like, I'm going to let the, the jets cool on that one. You know what I love? Like you, So Mike and I, like the, the thing that we, one of the only things that we like more than actually recording these podcasts is coming up with new podcast ideas that we're probably never going to do. <laughs> and like... Wall to Wahlberg is all yours. We had planned that we record the first episode of the podcast, which is the Ben Affleck podcast, and then the week we did the first one, all that stuff came out about him. We're like, ugh, and so we abandoned ship. But we were going to do him, and then we're going to do the podcast pot two for Wahlberg, but like we come up with names for podcasts you just come up with names for like marathons and just like bring it to the world and like make money on it like that's like it's the same it's coming from the same place like bad puns and like cool movies i'm torn between walking on sunshine or christopher's walk-in closet there's, there's a lot of bad dad puns ling- lingering up in my head that don't turn into marathons i don't want you to think that this mouth only spouts goals and then finds a way to make it work so the one that mike and i want to do the most that i don't think we're ever going to do is we really want to do jill and Hollick's anonymous where it's just okay. both jake and maggie movies but it's just like i just love that name like i don't know like it doesn't really make sense but i just love how that sounds and she also starred in a movie called smashed where she was an alcoholic and i actually quite like jake's work recently you know yeah yeah Night he Crawler. was also Amazing. an alcoholic in stronger oh there you go oh i haven't seen that yet but you, i did you guys just, just get shit-faced and watch <laughs> Dylan Hall movies that's that, that that's that's your hook i would listen to that podcast i mean like sure i like maggie and jake gyllenhaal but if you guys want to get shit-faced and talk about Maggie <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal movies, I'm like, fuck, I want to listen to these guys talk about Prince of Persia. You yeah, veto that idea based on that movie alone. <laughs> hey, guys, like... welcome. We're, we're getting shit-faced and watching Prince of Persia <laughs> again this week. Maybe we'll say something different. It's probably going to be cool, though. <laughs> But I mean, like, that's just like every podcast. It's just like, you know, you need your hook. And like, there was a Funny or Die video about like, you know, it's Wings and Wings where we eat Buffalo Wings and talk about the show Wings and like, just how dumb of an idea that is. But yeah, I mean, like, just get drunk and watch Jake Gyllenhaal movies and call Gyllenhaal Anonymous. Like, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to discourage you at all, but I do have a friend that I've never listened to his podcast and it's called the Chicken Salad Boys. And I think they just talk about chicken salad. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I mean, there's there's an audience you out there You find for your niche and you run with it. I mean... <laughs> But I mean, there's an I audience for everything. That's all I know. Absolutely. I guess we have to talk about the saws all because that's, I think, the, the big takeaway from this movie, right? The, the saws all because it saws all. It does. And, and there's Nicholas a couple... Cage reminds you all the way to the mm-hmm. bitter end. 
there's a couple cool like i dare i say action scenes but like moments i thought that were pretty cool like when the basement explodes or that the whole yep. thing of like trying to gas them out and then her with the matches and i thought that worked well the, the reveal of the little boy having stolen the gun i thought that was a, that was yeah, pretty I mean, dark it was kind of like a fucked up r-rated home alone well actually yeah. a fucked up r-rated home alone was another fantastic festival movie i saw a year ago oh was, yeah they changed the, they, yeah they changed yeah, the name of it where it was like christmas the, movie watch out yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that is great. Like that's an adult home alone. This is sort of, I mean, I wish like if it was more about the kids. Like, because what's weird about the movie is that it balances between the mm. parents and the kids. It, I don't know if it doesn't know which one it wants to be more. It wants to do both equally, but I, I almost mm-hmm. wish that we focus on one as opposed to the other because you sort of get a lot of both, but not enough of either. Kind of. Yeah, having seen the uh, almost two hour version where it was predominantly the kids, uh, trust me, you want as much of the parents as you can get in there. <laughs> I was actually thinking I just wanted one kid. Like, I, if she was an only child that had to fend off both of them with her boyfriend, I was cool with that because I was actually a little confused about her brother. Like, it's a school day, but I didn't yeah, catch why is he home? sick at home. That yeah, kid doesn't and- give a fuck, and he likes hanging out in pajamas. <laughs> Mystery <laughs> <Yeah>. solved, guys. <laughs> Uh, and then, but then her boyfriend's taking the SATs. Isn't that generally on a day when there's not like regular school? So I was just a little confused with like some of that stuff. But um, I also don't know if it matters. I think that's the whole thing. It just no, like, no, it doesn't really matter. But I, I just feel like they could have streamlined some some of this a little more. I mean, not with a better edit, but I mean that had to be done script stage or something. I just felt like maybe a little less of everything and then just compact it because I like the premise. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Like, and again, like having seen two different versions of it and not knowing it at the time, like I think they did a good job of speeding everything up. You get over the speed bumps of those things a lot easier now. I did not care for the kids. Like, I want them to fucking die. Like, you can't put Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair in a movie, right. even if they're homicidal psychopaths, and not root for them. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually pretty surprised they didn't end up winning like killing the kids like i actually literally thought that's when the movie was going to end because how else could it really end unless either of them had to kill each other was there a better ending by any chance because i am a little disgruntled about how the movie kind of just stops i remember it being very abrupt but i'm trying to remember and i think it might have been where because i don't remember lance henriksen having quite so savage of a thing i just remember like a doorbell ringing and then like some of them going like oh my god uh, I forgot your parents were coming, and like I think that was the cut. Going like, oh, oh shit, they're gonna come and kill you. That actually would have been a and, very and smart so ending. And so I don't think it ends there. I think they incorporated a lot of the action sequences from after Henriksen and, and his mom show up. I think they just edited out where they would have cut to them, and then have all of, like the violence and action sequences, uh, and then just had that at the end. Cause, oh, interesting. Because where it ends now is they're just, like, handcuffed to that pipe or the pole in the basement or whatever, and mm-hmm. it just sort of ends vaguely. I mean, I like to think after the movie ends that we don't see, like, they break free and murder those kids. It also makes me wonder, <laughs> I mean, not that the movie has any interest I mean, in, like, saying, but, like, is this, like, is is the static ever going to go away? Or, like, if, like, is there going to come a point mm-hmm. in time where, like, they, like, the parents are not homicidal anymore? Like, I don't know, but, like, it doesn't matter, but, like... I I'm, think I'm Brian so Taylor just doesn't ever want to put himself in a corner of, like, throwing Jason Statham out of a plane and bouncing on some concrete and then going, fuck, we're going to do a sequel now, though. How do I write my way out of this one? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it does totally feels open-ended and 
for that reason. Like, even if we don't pick up with this family, like, we could do a purge kind of thing. It's along the same lines, like, thematically even, like, with just craziness going on in the streets and stuff. So, like, you can make this sort of like a uh, anthology-ish kind of sequelized thing going on. But I do wish he would have made up his mind, you know, would have said, like, here's the end, like, period, you know, exclamation mark. I, I don't think that he had that point to make maybe you can like or dislike the narrative as it lays as it is but i feel like the movie kind of starts with the wheels already running it's they're unaffected but you're seeing all of these like chinks in the armor around their society right uh, and even they're starting to notice it until they themselves are affected by it and i think maybe just kind of like the how this stuff just kind of like weaves itself into the daily ritual of the suburban life which is why it's the movie that you watch uh but then that not concluding going like well where does this go and you're like well i think that might be the thing like they didn't tell you where it came from so they don't need to tell you where it goes right they just wanted to show oh, yeah. you the experience of what was happening and like how fucked up that is and i think like what what works really well is that for a lot of the movie you're not sure if Selma blair is going to get affected because it feels like she's not going to like you see it around mm-hmm. her and she sees it around her and you're like oh maybe she's like a on like one of the good guys and then you're like oh no she's she's affected too and like that's cool yeah you know what i thought but, at one point i thought she might have it was going to be revealed that she was a stepmom that she was oh. <laughs> stepmother, so it wasn't affecting her. Or because so, I started getting into that kind of like semantic questioning with myself, like is this like a Gremlins kind of thing? Like, is it midnight in what part of the world? Kind <laughs> of questioning going on. Yeah, and I also thought maybe like once it was, you know, once she did get affected, I thought when the grandparents showed up, she was gonna like shake it off or something. You know, once they were getting attacked, right? You know? Because she would have been technically unrelated. Yeah. Something yeah, like I, I thought the same thing. You did get the sense, but then you'd also saw, like, throughout the course of the movie that even parents, like, they wouldn't go and attack a kid, but they would still kill a kid if the kid got in the way. Because Cage, you see that with Cage with the boyfriend, and he sort of starts the movie with some animosity towards him already for being older and everything and overprotective of his daughter, so he gets to get his, a couple hits in. <laughs> I don't know if that's called a couple of hits. He, like, ground <laughs> smashes that kid until his head, like, bleeds. But he keeps coming back. Like, the kid's indestructible. And yeah. I, I knew, like, you know, you know, as soon as he gets knocked out, they kind of linger on him there. You're like, oh, he's not dead. He's yeah, I mean, that that, that, was, that was one of the best stunts in the movie. Like, obviously, the explosion from the basement was incredible to, like, watch, like, Cage explode in slow motion. But, like, that kid taking the hammer and then, like, flying over the banister, bumping on it, and then slapping into the ground, like, in the middle of the living room. I was like, man, that was some stunt work right there. <laughs> this is thing that reminded me of, like, I don't know if it was, like, a Halloween homage, but when she's locked in the closet and using the coat hanger and then, like, successfully stabs the boy in the cheek with it. I was like, oh, look, like, you can use a coat hanger as a weapon but this time it was like the evil person was using the coat hanger, not the good well, person. I also felt like some of the score had some like carpenter like synth riffs yeah. uh, pulsing through it. Like there was some like assault on Precinct 13 almost like vibe to some of the things. Yeah, like between the score and the sound effects, like there's not like a moment where you really feel comfortable. Like you're not supposed to, but like like you were mentioning earlier, like where it was like a longer scene, but now we just cut it down to like Cage like maniacally laughing at something. Like there's these moments where it's just like something's not like visually happening, but like there's just like this pulsing noise and it's just like it just gets under your skin and he never wants you to feel okay at all watching this movie. Right. I was really interested in the in, like the way this film was cut because like it disoriented me in in a good way was it as sort of manically (laughs) cut like even when it was longer or did they really like sort of go to town on it you still you still got like the sense that like brian taylor was running through the kitchen on a skateboard uh to like film nicholas cage eating cereal like in that opening scene it didn't feel nearly as fast and i felt like the movie that i watched feels really fast now and i really appreciated that 
Yeah, I, I really felt like that through it too. Like it was like intense. I was like, I'm getting the high that I want when I originally saw something like, you know, Schneider's Dawn of the Dead or something like that, where it's like, oh, look, it's like running and intense and stuff. But like, it's been a while since I sort of feel like I've felt that and something. And this really sort of gave that to me this time. So you guys have made a movie in a bit. Yeah. One other moment that I really, really like early on is before the static happens, it feels like in the first 10 minutes of the movie, Cage wants to kill his son like twice, which I guess is just normal parental wants to kill well, her kid. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of like the sense that, because are, are you talking about like the truck? The truck, but also like when his kid throws like that soccer ball and hits him in the head and like he just like mm-hmm. stares off into space and then like says something like, 10, it's not a guarantee for you, like just keep it up, like I'm going to murder you. I think it's almost like just they know that they're making a movie where they're like, hey, uh, the plot is Selma Blair and Nicolas yes. Cage want to kill their kids, and they fully understand because, like, they're from like a marketing music video kind of world, and so I think they fully know what they're making. So they are just playing with your expectations at that point. Like, they're right. playing their Ernest scared stupid before showing you Ernest scared stupid <laughs> because they're like, okay, you're waiting for this to happen, and we're going to like tease it out a couple of times because once we do it, it's just going to be homicidal Nicolas Cage trying to kill his kids. And that's really what I wanted, because I, I, I thought about that while I was watching it, but if you don't know anything about this movie going in, I wonder how that scene plays. Like, you're just going to think it's, like, super, super weird. Like, if even if you know, like, the basic mm-hmm. plot, it makes sense, but, like, if you know nothing about this, you're like, what is happening here? Yeah, I think I you know that I can't imagine a single person on. watching this movie in contemporary society not knowing that logline, though. That's probably true. Yeah, like, nobody would watch this going, like, What's that tickle scene about? Is he going to fuck his kid? <laughs> well, if they didn't, you know, if they were going in cold, it would be a good sort of callback where it's like, oh, he is going to end up trying to kill yeah. his son. I mean, it's just, it's super overt foreshadowing that plays yeah. with like horror tones. Like this is the kind the of tickle movie. monster stuff was great. That's like the cage dad stuff, Joey, that like, I feel, you know, we've been jonesing for is like, just to see him like be fatherly and like fool around and you know, be a goofball and just, like, be the dad thing, even though... These will, these will, these will be in your I Dream of Nicolas Cage being my dad super edit cut that you're going to make. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a good, like, father figure recently. Like, in Snowden, he was a father figure, but, like, him as a dad, like, you know, he's done 85 movies or whatever now, and, like, he's not really got kids in a lot of them. He's sort of, like, a loner in a lot of movies. Like, we even made a note that, like, he doesn't really have brothers or sisters in a lot of movies. He's just sort of, like, this, this force that exists in the world with nothing around him. I think that's a big, like, part of the mystique of Nicolas Cage, though. Because, like, you'll have an actor, Tom Cruise is probably from, cut from the same cloth as Nicolas Cage, where, like, you'll see, like, an actor like Tom Hanks, who, like, is getting older, he'll get fatter, he'll get whatever, and, like, he adapts kind of the actor that he is and who he's viewed as as a human person in our society, and it's reflective in the acting choices that he makes. Whereas, like, you have, like, your Tom Cruises or your Nicolas Cages, and I think there's a certain level of, like, ego that goes into a lot of their role choices to where they want to still be the leading man type. And whenever you're the leading man type, like you generally aren't going to have kids or you're not like, you're not going to have siblings. Like you're going to be kind of the sole focus of that movie. Uh, And I think like he's drawn a lot to those because they satisfy like a certain part of his ego. Like, yeah, he'll go and make the adaptations and like other types of movies. But like generally, like I think that Nicolas Cage still kind of views himself as the leading man type, even though like he is an older actor now. And I think that's what we really like about the new Keanu movies is that like he's sort of not settling into like character actor role, but like doing these smaller things like the manager and the neon demon or like the dream in Bad, the Bad Batch. Batch, where it's just like it's he's not the face <laughs> of the movie, but like when he's on screen, like it is about him. That's cool. He's neesening. Yeah. He's neesening. <laughs> I like that as a verb. Well, that's would also be the marathon probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys neesening this Sunday? Fuck yeah, we're gonna neesen the fuck out of Sunday, guys. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's like it's like Neeson was a very varied and celebrated great actor, and then like he can like pop up in something, and you're like, holy shit, Neeson's in Gangs of New York, and he's the dopest part of this movie. But then like you know he can make a commuter, and you're like, well, yeah, I want to see that. And I think like Keanu Reeves is like, I have this very like bag of luggage that people bring of me being this like badass dude who knows kung fu and now that he's like older going like i can't really do that for forever i'm still gonna do like these john wicks because they play into kind of like that older guy but now i get to play around with the perception of the works that i've built up of who i am and then play against it i think those guys just are uninterested with it and so they try to like change or use that perception against you because like you see the dream and, and you're like oh this guy's not got a bad guy, and you're like, no, he's a fucking terrible monster. Yeah, because no, when we did the the Keanu Club Awards, and we we, we had a category for best archetypal role, because like early on, he did so many like stoner burnout movies. Even before he was Ted, like there were like all these high school yeah. movies that sort of felt the same. Then he did like I the cop thing. Of Most of them are not very good. Uh, and then he did the cop thing, and he did the blank slate thing, sort of like the Matrix and sort of Siddhartha and stuff like that. But like what we really liked recently, and I think he's like just sort of beginning is that villain role where like I think he started in Man of Tai Chi which he also directed which I I hope a I little mean, in the gift oh Man of Tai Chi yeah I mean I hope you're showing on Sunday but I don't want to no, no spoilers between Man of Tai Chi and like the gift a little bit back in 2000 and like Neon Demon and Bad Batch is like it's this new thing that he can play with and it's like it goes against because he's like this handsome clean cut guy who's like the star like the cop in these movies and that's what you think of Keanu as and you're like oh wait no he's basically Immortan Joe from Mad Max but like in Bad Batch like like he's just like the ultimate bad guy with this harem of women who don't want to be there with him, but he's commanding them. And like it's like, oh, yeah, but that's so not much my more Keanu. handsome. Also, his like villain persona, he's very sort of imposing, and he's like a good-looking Frankenstein almost. Where like he's just—I don't know if you realize that, but like we come to see just like what sort of like a physically big kind of guy he is, and like how he can sort of tower over someone like in the Neon Demon or something. It's just like, ooh, like he's got <laughs> there's a force behind him too, you know? Like this guy could be trouble. What's weird is if, uh, like, I mean, so I've watched, I, mean, I imagine you guys have watched a lot of Keanu Reeves movies, and yeah, I have. Everyone, uh, yep. It's weird to see how often where he doesn't always necessarily confront the devil, but he will confront, <laughs> and he wants to confront the source of either, like, life or evil yep. in a lot of movies. And it's super weird to see, that, like, the kind of repetition of, like, this guy not trying to find out the truth about something, but trying to confront the creator or, like, genesis yeah. of something. Uh, and like, comes up see a it. lot, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I don't necessarily know if it's, like, I mean, obviously, like, a lot of the, like, you look at, like, a Constantine, you're like, yeah, that's Satan, but, like, The Matrix is more of, like, an obtuse, like, right. philosophical version of it. Uh, and it's just, like, so interesting to, like, see it whenever you watch, like, 10 Keanu Reeves movies in a row, and you're like, wow, there's a whole lot of him trying to find the creator. Yeah, pretty much from, like, 1990 through, like, even the man of Tai Chi is sort of religious, like, where he kind of plays the devil, in a way. Like, it's... It's it very, yeah, like, that tempting sort of trickster kind of guy, yeah. What do you guys feel about 47 Ronin? Um, I was... <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. I was disappointed. Uh, see, I, I walked in there expecting, like, the worst thing ever, and then I had, like, a super good time. It was, like, Gods uh, of Egypt good for me. I mean, uh, I was expecting, beautiful. like, a live-action Miyazaki film, but I guess my expectations were way too high. And I, had, I had fun with it. I wouldn't ever call it a good movie. I wouldn't accuse it of that. I love the, uh, the design works great. Yeah. So, a lot of cool creatures. There's actually one thing that I... I as you are, you know, neck deep in Keanu Reeves, there's one thing that I have to recommend that you... There's some guy on Amazon who is selling a Keanu Reeves' Journey to Success, this unauthorized biography. It's like 50 minutes long, <laughs> and it is the craziest thing. 
it tracks it's like a conspiracy career. theory and like, then it basically Mad he basically it, builds up to blaming 9-11 on keanu reeves it's the thesis of his documentary <laughs> we wish that was mm-hmm. a joke too but like it's not people are maniacs i don't want to disparage anybody but throughout the course of somehow like being thrust into like a certain level of the public eye through being associated with Nicolas Cage. A lot of people have come out of the woodwork to me and like sent me like Facebooks and like uh, messages and stuff going like, oh my God, can you hook me up with Nicolas Cage? You're like, oh my God, you've talked to Nicolas Cage. Tell me about it. And you're like, that's really weird. Right. I don't know him. I met him one day and then people just over volunteer so much information. And it's, it's weird. What a lightning rod of attention Nicolas Cage is while simultaneously being like another lightning rod for just the craziest people in the world. The reason we started this podcast was because we knew that it was something people cared about. That was something that we cared about, but like we genuinely liked his movies. And like what really bothers me about the public perception of him, which I think we've really tried to dispel over these 90 episodes is that like he's more than just a meme like he's actually like a great actor who can oh, do absolutely. just about anything yeah. and, people, and he's one of the most varied actors yeah like he's done literally every genre except for maybe musical and western we want oh, we still want those yeah, western know? and a pirate he hasn't been a pirate right mike so we want him as a pirate oh, a cowboy, I love him to be yeah and a musical i mean they, they don't really make pirate make, films i mean they'll replace for... him uh they'll replace johnny depp with nicholas cage that's which all we be want the best ever. I mean, or man if national treasure three could be a time traveling one where he's going to try to meet like his great 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 grandfather, who was like a, a clipper ship captain. Yes. Oh, I love it. And, and he, he could also visit the old west at the same time, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know, but but like people just know him from like not the bees or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, go see like Birdie and go see him like pour his heart out to Matthew Modine in this movie that like no, nobody's absolutely. seen. You can see like this guy is great at what he does, and like, yeah, he started making bad movies, but like that's that shouldn't reflect poorly on like his literal decades of greatness. I think I've said it at every single marathon except for the one that he came because these things sell out so fast and I think people think it's going to be some sort of laugh riot and I'm like, hey, if any of you came here to laugh at a Nicolas Cage movie, there's the fucking door. I'll refund your ticket. I'm here to watch Nicolas Cage movies and love them and if you don't want to be here and appreciate these all with me, I don't want to be around you. I mean, when we started this, I was listening to other podcasts who did Cage stuff and like they would be Mm -hmm. like making fun of the movies or like talking about how bad they are and like we're not going to like call some shitty movie like a great movie but like we're gonna try to find the positive in it and like you know it's still something that he's doing that he cares about on some level and like we want to be positive and it just i don't understand why people like i mean it's i guess it's where the internet is right now but like this ironic i'm watching bad movies or i'm watching movies and hoping they're bad so i can make fun of them like no like watch these movies and like hope they're good and just like sort of cherish them and share them with people exactly you're doing the Lord's work. Well, thank you. And so are you. I mean, <laughs> everything you're doing is the Lord's work. So, I mean, that's just, you know. I'm just, it's, it's all selfishly motivated. Oh, yeah. I mean, so is this. I mean, like. <laughs> so is this. We just want to watch these movies. Yeah, we just want to watch Cage movies. And, like, you know, even if nobody's listening, the fact that, like, you know, Mike and I are talking to each other and talking to, like, people who also care about this shit, like, that's all that I care about. The same for me. Oh, yes. We are cut from the same cloth, friends. I appreciate it. So do you have any other last thoughts about either, you know, mom and dad or Cage or anything? Any any parting wisdom? Parting wisdom? Um, I'll tell you a fun little tidbit. Okay. And I don't know how 100% accurate this is, but I assume and believe it to be true. But it is the greatest mistake that I think every single Nicolas Cage fan makes. Okay. Uh, it's not going to be profound, but it is going to be enlightening. Every single time that I got a email from Nicolas Cage or from his manager, he would sign it Nick, N-I-C-K. 
Oh. Oh. Really? Mind blown, right? Whoa. That is crazy. The world has been calling him NIC for his entire life, and nobody has ever cared to bother. Well, what drives me crazy is when people spell his name with an H in the middle. I'm like, do you not care even about the most basic (laughs) fact about him? But NICK is, wow. No, 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 no. I'm actually a big fan of Nicholas Cage. Sorry, I didn't have anything more incredible to say. No, no, no. But that 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 would would be an interesting That's changed my my mind about so many things. Or, I mean, it's one thing, but... <laughs> We've got to change the podcast now. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, Mike and I were talking, like, the, the the new one that we're doing after we did Kiana, we're now doing Charlize, like, you know, he mentioned earlier, and I've spelled her name Charlie so many times just because it's, like, natural, it's more natural to type, and I'm like, oh, no, i gotta, I got to make sure I spell her name right if we're doing a podcast about her. You know, you guys calling I, that the Throne Zone? We're, oh, we were, we're calling it Watch the Throne. Okay. Uh, comfortable with that. We had Throne Zone as an idea, but then, so what we named the podcast, put out the art about it, and then before we even recorded the first episode, we're like, oh, she pronounces her last name Theron. So it's like, we're, mm. we're already wrong. Like, we're, we're lying to the audience in uh, in just the name of the show. But so. we're sticking with it. And you're sticking with the NIC on the Nicolas Cage? Well, we don't really, I mean, well, I don't know that we ever call him a little him more Nick. flexible on that. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not that, we've never met him. We're not that informal with him. And this is the flagship show, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll <laughs> have to see. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much for being on this podcast, for doing all the Lord's work you're doing in bringing Cage movies to the masses, for programming Fantastic Fest and everything, everything, else, everything else that's great in the Austin Alamo. And, you know, if you're ever back up in Yonkers or anything, just let us know and we will come up and trust oh, yeah. your faith and opinion in things. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me. It was a esteemed honor. Well, so for all things Cage Club, all 90 episodes of this and all the other shows that we've done, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. Find everything we've done. Everything's up there to listen to for free. Go check out uh, the stuff. You know, if you live in a town with a draft house, go to the draft house because they always do great things, whether or not Greg's programming them. So go check that out. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Greg McLennan. We'll see you next time on Cage Club. Sars. Sars.